which is the best day of the year? Today, when you get all the candy, or next week, when our kind, benevolent government dictators give us an extra hour of sleep. Definitely the extra hour of which, sleep. Which is the better? You are officially an adult. Yes. I was saying this morning that today's the best day of the year, and somebody said, but pastor, what about Christmas? And I'm like, it's candy. It's candy. <laughs> I mean, how can you not love candy? Come on. <laughs> Gift straight from God. So yeah. ready, ready, ready. Got it all bought and ready to go, ready for distribution. It's going to be a fun day. <laughs> hey, good to see you. Glad to have you here today. You had a good week? Yeah. You. A lot of water. Oh, my goodness. Rain, 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 rain. I am one that every time there's an event that has the potential to be canceled, I, I never look at the radar or the forecast or anything because walk outside and look and test and see. Mm-hmm. And we pushed that fall fest until like 5.30 on, Wednesday, or on Thursday. And I still was like, yeah. Can we do this? And ultimately, it stays. Drip, 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 rain. drip, drip, drip the whole time. But so, yeah, but it was, it was a good call. Every once in a while, that happens, and it, yeah. and it works out well. So, uh, my goodness, there's a lot, there is a lot going on around here. A this lot. This is going to be a busy week. Uh-huh. Uh, this room is going to undergo a little bit of a transformation right mm-hmm. after church. Uh, second service is going to have to do something that we haven't done for years. Tear down chairs. Just that crazy. is so fun. Remember when we used to tear down chairs every week before every the gym? Wednesday, yeah. And now, now this is an occasional thing. So yeah. got the ladies event on Friday night and they're going to be using this room and so many of the pieces uh, of what I see coming together for that are just, they're really beautiful in terms of the, the uh, decorating and all, but then the beauty of the stories as well that will be told that night are they're very compelling, mm-hmm. very compelling. So I'm glad that they get to enjoy enjoy that night together. So if you register for that, don't forget. That's this coming Friday. Yeah, and doors open at uh, 545. 545. So you come at 544 and it'll be just like refuge. Stand outside and wait. That is my I... favorite part of Wednesday <laughs> nights. We put a sign up on the door that says when the doors open or when we unlock them at 625. And there will be kids literally peering in watching us wave at them until 625 and pop the doors and there you go and we're good to go so yeah i know that we're just we're violating everything in some of your souls when we're doing a a series christmas series and halloween candy is not even distributed yet and now today we're talking to you about auditions that are coming up we're going to be having a a christmas a christmas play not only not only to celebrate jesus birthday but on Brian's birthday. You're going, to be, you're going to be very confused that day. It's going to be like, for me? No, it's for Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but anyway, um, December 12th, we're going to be having the, the kids do uh, a Christmas play, which will be really wonderful. It's not, it's not a musical. This mm-hmm. isn't coming and doing, uh, trying out for singing parts. But if you're wanting to do a spoken part, you do need to audition for that. You go on to the um, church events site, and the, the script is there. It's a paragraph that you've got to memorize. You come and you present. And the thing that's important about this, what's important about this? Kid, take a guess. Fast. Oh. We're telling you today and next week, man, you've got to be signed up, registered by next week. That's a trick question. Oh, I know. And then Monday, Monday is the audition. So five-minute audition. Mm-hmm. When you sign up for it, you'll be sent an email with your five minutes. This is your block. Uh, to be able to go ahead and come and, and do that audition. But really excited about that. I think it's a, it's a piece of, you know, our philosophy is kids aren't the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. If you wait until tomorrow, they're, they're not going to want anything to do with it. We want to make sure that now 
kids are having the chance to be able to be uh, involved in, in declaring the gospel message. Mm-hmm. So now one of the things about that is even we're going we're gonna to have like the littlest kids singing, the, the two, three, whatever, the, the little littles, even they need to get registered. They don't have to, they don't have to come to an audition but they need to register. And part of the reason for the registration is to make sure, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away, like what we're doing right now, they call this announcements. <laughs> and, um, and we'll announce something, and a person after over it will say, I didn't know about that. I, see, you Just can't, like that. You see? can't identify who yeah. that was, right? <laughs> I didn't know about that. And I was like, well, we, we talked about it, and there it was. So, so part of the reason for registering is so that you'll read all the details You'll know what day practices are. You'll know what day the dress rehearsal mm-hmm. is. You'll know what days the performance is being offered. And everything that's involved, you'll know it. So you basically, you've agreed, yeah, this, is, this works. Mm-hmm. This works. And it's going to be a great day. Can't, can't wait for that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. What's going on in student life? Well, tonight we are we're meeting at our normal time. Okay. I'm sure there will be tons of candy. And... I think we should, she's not in here, is she? Is Julie in here? Okay, high schoolers, uh, we should make sure that she's the only one wearing a costume. I'm kidding, don't be mean to Julie. You're a, you can wear a costume if you want. <laughs> it would break her heart. Don't do that. Everybody wear a costume. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, so, uh, so that's tonight. And then, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, these are donuts and dodgeball with Refuge. That's just a, an awesome event that we have for out, that's built for outreach Kids invite whoever they want, and we're going to have a ton of donuts, a ton of dodgeball. It's going to be a really, really good time. If I have challenged uh, the kids that if you families make really good donuts and you want to be a part of our donut competition, we keep those separate. So you don't need to make like a, a whole huge batch of them, but if you can make two or three, if that's something that your family does or would like to try, uh, we do will, have will you prizes be like for the, those the kids. Paul Hollywood judging them? I don't know who Paul who, Hollywood who, is, but I Paul, will begin. You, you don't watch Bake? Come on, Prue and Paul and, oh, Brian. What are you doing with your life? This is important stuff. We're in I know, the middle Simon, of a great season. We're down same? to like the final five. There's this one woman, uh, you can't understand a word she says. She speaks British something that you're like, we literally have to have the subtitles on to figure out what in the world's coming <laughs> out of her mouth. It's crazy. It's been a fantastic season. Last week was pastry week, shoe pastry. You know shoe pastry, right? Okay, anyway. Nope. Anyway, <laughs> so you'll judge. Wonderful. I'm That'd judging. Great. I'm going to be very full. Paul would actually, he'd wear this shirt. This is kind of his color. So anyway, um, yeah, that's fun. What else? <laughs> that's all I got for students. Oh, okay, good. So when that, when that weekend update comes, you have some links in there that tell you you can watch the music that's coming up so that you know what we're singing on a Sunday morning. You can jump on and do the reading of what's being offered for the day. You can listen to it on Dwell. And then we've also added that new one called Notes. For some of you, you like to use version uh, for your Bible on Sunday mornings. And, and that event that's there, that link, will take you right to a designed Sunday morning, October 31st event for Southfield mm-hmm. that, lists the, that lists the scripture passages that we're using uh, for that Sunday morning. And you're actually able to interact and, and keep your own notes in that. The, part of the reason I raised that is because this past week, the, the folks at Dwell sent out a, an email about an Advent uh, program that they're going to be doing. So you have the opportunity to listen to Scripture, and then they also have an Advent devotional. 
And I thought, just to kind of give you an opportunity to get prepped, you can, you can actually order, uh, you can do this one of three ways. You can get a paper copy off Amazon, you can get a Kindle copy, or their site actually even has a PDF that you can download. So for those of you that, that use the Dwell app, you may want to do this, this special devotional uh, during that season and get the, the beautiful passages of Scripture that then go along with the devotional that they've written. Yeah. So we wanted you to be a, aware of that coming up. Again, another Christmas promo. So anyway, speaking of Christmas, one of the beautiful names that we were given for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mm -hmm. I, love that. I love that so many times when it comes to Old Testament names, it wasn't simply a name that was given, but there was, there was meaning behind the name. And, and this name in particular, beautiful name, it describes the relationship that we have with God, that he's a with us God. And so that's been the focus of our, of our season as we, as we head toward uh, December 25th. This morning, I want you to read four passages to us, and uh, as you do, they, they all have a theme. We'll discuss the theme in a little bit, but if you'd read them, they're found in Numbers and Chronicles, as well as in Philippians. So uh, if you start with the Numbers passage, it sounds a little bit like a song we sing. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you're to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. And then you go to Chronicles, and we, and we learn about uh, a character that's familiar a few years ago. There's a book written about this guy. His, his story appears in, in one of those genealogies. Mm -hmm. So you'll have these lists of names, and every once in a while when you're going through the list of names, the writer will camp on one person and give a few more details about them, and, and they, they gave a little more attention to this guy, including what his name means, which I think is really intriguing. He basically, his name basically means you're a big pain. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and read this one. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I give birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. And then there are two passages in Philippians that, I, boy, I remember all the way back into my childhood. Very, very familiar passages. The first is found in chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things who him, through him who gives me strength. And then finally, Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Wonderful. Go ahead and pray for us as we get ready to go into our teach. God, as we... Um, continue to study the, the with-us nature of you as we head into uh, what becomes the, the busiest season of the year. Again, steady our hearts, steady our minds. Let us um, be open and, and ready to hear what you have for us uh, in, in your word this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, Mike. So as of several weeks ago now, I think we were in a staff meeting. I don't always remember where conversations happened, but I do remember conversations um, involved in a conversation with uh, Jeremy Wojewoda, and she was, she was talking about a, a study that she was doing with a friend out of a book that's, that's come out fairly recently, and the, and the book's very simple title is With, With, and it describes the, the relationship that God has with us, that he's a with us God. And um, a lot of times when, when one of you will talk about a, a book that you've spotted that you love or whatever, 
I'll go on to one of my favorite book sites and, and click it to see what, what's it about, who wrote it, and, and table of contents in particular. And when I'm looking at the table of contents of this book, it, it didn't take long to say, this is a great direction to go for Christmas. So I haven't even read the book, but I love, I love the concept. I love that word, with. What a, what a great word to describe the relationship that God wants to have with us, that he, that he truly is a with us God. You have that, that preposition that's put out there. Prepositions have a way of defining a spatial relationship between objects. This is how, this is how these things relate together. This is how these things uh, go together. And so, you know, as you think about the word you might use to describe your relationship with God, I wonder what word you might use. Would you use the word with, that God is with me? Or, or would you find yourself saying, I feel like God's against me. I, I, I feel like at every turn he's opposing me. Or, or maybe, maybe you have a perspective that says God is beneath me. I'm, I'm too smart for God. I'm, I'm a believer in science and that religion stuff. That was great for people who were primitive and didn't own a cell phone. But for me, God, that, that's, that's something else going on there. So, so what we wanted to do during this, during this season, as we, as we prepare for December 25th, as we prepare for celebrating again the coming of Jesus to this world, uh, I wanted to take extra time for, for thoughtful reflection on where you are in your relationship with God. How do you relate to God? When you think about him, where is he in your life? Where, how, how, what's the relationship look like? Can you, can you ultimately come to Christmas morning and say, yes, Emmanuel, God truly is with me. So we started last week in the book of Genesis. We actually looked at every verse in the first three chapters. And as we, as we looked at that, we saw the way everything came to be, the way God intended things to, to be, and why things are not the way God intended them to be. So we go all the way back to the beginning, and, and here we have God creating a man and creating a woman, and he places them in this beautiful garden called Eden. This is, this is paradise. This is life the way God meant it to be. And in that paradise, he has two trees, and one in particular is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it's the only, it's the only command up until now that is a forbidding command. Everything else is positive. Be fruitful, multiply, rule over the world, rule over the land, rule over the animals. This is the only one that God says, don't. Don't do this. Don't participate in this. Don't you go over and eat from that tree. And so we have, we have there Adam in this, in this garden. He's enjoying the garden. And then we have the creation of the woman. And they're together. And he's in awe. And, and I just love this. God recognizes it's not good for them to be alone. And so he gives them the opportunity to be together. He's got this helper now that he can enjoy. And, and the end of chapter 2, verse 25, we have, we have the complete definition of paradise. This is what perfection looks like in relationship. He says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And this, I believe, is a literal statement, but it's also a figurative statement. They had nothing to hide from each other. Do you imagine if you could live life with absolutely nothing to hide? 
There's nothing, there's no secret that you'd ever want to be exposed. You, you lived so perfectly, so cleanly, so righteously, that, that if somebody went digging up dirt, they could not find an ounce. These two people in relationship had nothing to hide from each other, but more importantly, they had nothing to hide from God. They were in a state of pure, sweet, childlike innocence, sinless before a holy God. Like I said last week, I sure wish the book ended right there. I wish the story ended right there, but it doesn't. Chapter 3, this slithering snake comes along and he starts to talk and he starts to throw doubt in the uh, mind of the woman about God's goodness, about God's intent. He's withholding from you because he wants to keep this special for himself. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be an equal or even better than him. And Eve hears this and she looks at the fruit and she says, it's good. It looks very good and it's going to make me wise. And so she eats it and as fast as she can, she gives some to Adam as well. And verse 7 is the complete opposite of the end of chapter 2. It says, at that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Again, this is, this is literal as well as figurative. They, they feel complete shame at what they've just done. They are exposed. They've just disobeyed God for the very first time. And so they make this, this really pathetic effort to cover up. They grab some leaves, sew them together, and they have these leaf skirts, and all is good now, right? No, all is a complete mess. It's a complete mess. God comes and talks to them, and he, and he gives specific curses to the serpent and to the man and to the woman. But then the saddest part of all, in my opinion, is when you come to the end of the chapter and God says, we can't leave these people in the garden anymore. They've got to get out of the garden. And so the Bible literally says he banished them from the garden. He banished them from his presence. And he put a cherubim, an angel, in between the people and the garden so they could not get back in. And that's the state every human being finds himself at birth. Banished from the presence of God. Every human being is born in a state of sin. Our nature is a nature of sin. It's the gift Adam gave to us. Every child of Adam is born in sin. But our understanding is not just that we're sinners by nature. We're sinners by nature and by choice. You may look and say, well, that's not fair. I didn't ask to be part of this family. Why do I have to be born in sin? Here's what's amazing. There isn't a person in the room that hasn't chosen to play along with their nature. There isn't a person in the room that hasn't sinned. You haven't been as bad as you could be. I'm sure of that. But none of us have been perfectly sinless. Every one of us has something to hide from each other and something to hide from God. And here we are in this state, this state of, of banishment from God. Now, the scripture in Genesis 3 gave us some hope. It gave us some hope because in, in chapter 3, verse 15, as he's giving the curse to the serpent, he says, here's what's going to happen, serpent. A man is going to come along with a heavy boot and he's going to crush your head. You will be destroyed. A little bit of hope is thrown out there. And the hope is further revealed in Isaiah when the prophet Isaiah says, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. You see, God could not stand the idea of his creation being banished and separated. He wanted to make a way by which we could be connected with him once again. I had some fun one night with worship team. I asked, so if you were God and Adam and Eve had just sinned on you, what would you do? Uh, most, most of the group kind of went along with the same perspective. 
etch a sketch. Let's start all over again. Let's just let's let's end this now and start all over again. If you could see the way human history was going to play out, you have the perspective of God. You could see the way human history was going to be played out. Most of us would say, "Let's not take this another step. Let's just start over." God was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He loved us that much that he said, "I'm not just I'm not just starting over." at least in terms of totally restarting my creation, but I am going to start over in that I'm going to let you be a new creature. New creature, A new creation if you come to a place of trusting in Christ as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. He made a way. He made a way for us to enjoy life with God. Now here's the thing. When we're, when we're in that state of banishment, when we're in that state of separation, and sometimes for us, even when, even when we've come to a place of accepting Christ, trusting in Christ, we still have perspectives about God that don't look like a with-us relationship. We have perspectives about God that, that, that kind of redefine what the relationship looks like. Those redefinitions we might call distortions, distorted views of our relationship with God, distorted views of who God is and how he interacts with human beings. Those distortions come from a wide variety of sources. I mean, probably most importantly, they come from the fall. They come from our sinful nature. Our sin interprets God for us. We look at God through sinful eyes and we get a, we get a warped view of God. Sometimes it's a matter of our history, particularly our family history, your relationship with your mom, a lot of times your relationship with your father. Your relationship with your father very often creates an image of who you think God is. And sometimes that can make a real mess of our image of God. Your worldview can mess with your image of God. <laughs> Whether it's your political view or whatever it is, I promise you, there's a piece of the way you view the world that you bring to the table when you look at who you think God is and how he relates to you as a human being. You have issues like context, where, where you just look at verses and, and you pick and choose stories in the Bible or, or pick and choose verses and you say, this one or this one or this one or this one, that's who I want God to be. And we interpret God in light of that. Or the concept of isolation, where we just decide to isolate on a particular characteristic of God and ignore all the others. God is love. Forget that God is just. Forget the other pieces. Why do you need to read the Old Testament? You're like, oh, I can't stand reading the Old Testament. Because you need to get to know all of God, not just the parts you like. Not just the parts that fit your image of God. You need to get to know all of who God is. Every part of him, not just the isolated pieces. Sometimes it's influenced by our age. And I don't just mean chronological age, but even our age in terms of our walk with God. The further you walk with God, you come into different aspects of what that spatial relationship looks like. All of these come together. All of them play together. So this morning I want to look at a view of God that a lot of us have. A lot of us have. And it looks an awful lot like this. Looks an awful lot like this. We go to the door of heaven, we hold out our bag, and we say, trick or treat. You don't say smell my feet to God. You say, trick or treat. We hold out our bag, and we just wait for the blessings. We're just, we're just waiting for God to bless us, because, because that's why God exists, right? 
God exists to bless me. God exists to give me what I want. God is kind of a, kind of a lucky rabbit's foot. If I take him along, everything will work out okay. If I leave my lucky rabbit's foot at home, I might have a little bit of trouble. But, but, if, I, but if I do the right things, if I live the right way, if I say the right things, I'll get what I want. We have a perspective of God that views God as something of a cosmic vending machine. We put in a quarter, we get what we want. I, there was a commercial when I was a kid. you remember it? Penny for a gumball, Mickey. Thanks for the gumball, right? Put in the penny, thanks for the gumball. We put something in, we get out what we expect. And we think that's the way our relationship with God works. If I put in what I'm supposed to, I'll get out what I expect. In its most extreme form, it's a narcissistic view of God. It's coming from a perspective that says, I am the center of the universe. Everything revolves around me. And God is just one of the pieces of my universe that serves me. We might refer to this not as the with me God, but the for me God. Now, I got to say this right now, because some of you are going to get tense, so tense, so tense, so fast. Last week, we sing the blessing straight out of the Bible, right? Straight out of the Bible. And at least 80 times, we sing the words, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. And you might think I'm coming today and saying, that is scripturally untrue. We should never sing that again. We'll just hum during that part. No, no. God is for you. God's got your back. God's got you. God is for you. But there are different ways of saying for. God is for you, but God is not for you. <clears throat> Grab what you want, get what you want, use what you want. Too many of us, God is a tool that we use to get what we want. We think that God exists for us. Rather than just the opposite, we exist for God. We exist for God. It's not, the, it's not the other way around. I took some time to look at the definition of narcissism, inordinate fascination with oneself, excessive self-love, vanity. Another site said, narcissism is characterized by a grandiose sense of self-importance, a lack of empathy for others, a need for excessive admiration, and the belief that one is unique and deserving of special treatment. That's like an entire generation of Americans, right? We're unique and special. We're unique and special. We deserve something that nobody else has ever deserved. Uh, when you put in the word narcissism, this article comes up every time. 11 ways you know you're dating a narcissist. I don't need an article to know that I'm talking to a narcissist. It doesn't take long at all to realize that this person would wear this T-shirt. I am the center of the universe. Boom, and it all, it all just spins around me. You see, it's interesting. When I look at this picture, I look at the universe and go, how vast. I am so tiny. And the narcissist stands and says, look at me. All this is mine. They actually view themselves bigger than the sky itself. All this is mine. For too many of us, we have a narcissistic view of God we have a for-me view of God. Now, you can look at Scripture and say, well, what's wrong with that? You just heard these words that Brian read. You know, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine on you and give you peace. God, 
bless me. Give me the blessings, man. Come on, pour them on. Let's go. Give them to me. You're a good father. Give me what I want. We have this, this story about Jabez where he's saying, hey, I know I was a pain at birth, but I don't like pain. Give me, give me expanded territory. Give me everything I want. And, and what do we get that last line? And God granted his request. Maybe we should start praying this prayer more often. Maybe God would grant our request too. And, and the New Testament seems to support it as well. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. If I just take my luck and wrap his foot with me, I can be Superman everywhere I go. Superwoman as well. Or my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. We look at these verses and we think, hey, those verses seem to support the idea that God's there for me. I just, if, I just, if I just work this relationship right, I will get what's coming to me. What does this person, this narcissist, do with verses like this? Concerted pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. What does the person who believes in health and wealth do when they read a verse in the Bible that says, you should be smiling joyfully when you're going through pain? This is a growth opportunity. Woo! Exciting. What does a narcissist do with this verse from Paul who says three times I prayed for the Lord to take away my thorn in the flesh, something that nagged him desperately, and God, it doesn't say, and God granted his request. It says, no, God said, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness, and Paul says, so I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Doesn't fit very well with God, gimme. Just give me, God. I'm here. Trick or treat. Give me. How about this from Paul? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. So we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us so that life can be at work in you. Boy, I sure like the happy verses a lot better. I sure, I sure liked a lot better. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Not, not, I am living daily death so that people can see what Jesus really looks like. You can't avoid Job in all of this. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If God chooses to kill me, I still know he has a better plan. Or when he's talking to his wife, and he says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You see, you, you can't just look at your favorite part of God. You can't just look at your favorite verses and then determine that's what God looks like. You have to look at him holistically. You've got to look at the whole thing. Unfortunately, for too many of us, we only look at the parts that look like God is grandpa at the door with a big bag of candy. And all we have to do is say trick or treat. And by the way, if you don't say trick or treat at my house, you might not get candy. But anyway narcissism the for me god the for me god an essential belief that god exists for me i don't exist for god god exists for me if i ask god gives give me the blessings god just give me the blessings 
And if I get them, I must have done something right. If I get them, certainly God loves me. If I get them, there's something good going on here. If I get them, I'll come back again. I like you, God. But if I don't get them, if I don't get the blessings, something's broken. Maybe I didn't ask right. Maybe I didn't say trick or treat properly. Maybe I didn't say the right prayer. Maybe I'm not using the right formula. Maybe something's wrong with God. What's going on? Maybe God isn't there. What's happening? What's going on? And so we start to question all based on whether the blessings are flowing or not. All based on whether or not the prayers are being answered the way we think they should be answered. We even wonder, is God able to bless me? Maybe God isn't real. Maybe this is all just a fairy tale made up by people who are trying to manipulate people. Maybe God doesn't have the ability to bless. Or another question, am I worthy of the blessing? Am I worthy of being blessed? Maybe I'm just unworthy. Here's what I always kind of giggle with that. We are all unworthy of blessing. Nobody's worthy of blessing. That's what, that's what mercy and grace are all about. Grace is unmerited favor. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. God gives it because he is good. But somehow we live under the delusion that we can be worthy of blessing. It really comes down to this, folks. Do I have a relationship with God? Do I want a relationship with God? Or is God just a transaction? Penny for a gumball, Mickey. Thanks for the gumball. I do what I'm supposed to do. God does what he does. And we just have a nice transaction going on here. Where am I in this? Is God the for me God? Or is God the with us God? Is God with me? Or have I lived as if God just exists to make my earthly walk more comfortable than it would have been without him? So let me give you some questions to just kind of prompt your thinking on this, to really dig into it. You might not like the word narcissist. You hear that and you're like, I'm not a narcissist. Hmm. I'm not saying you have to be a narcissist in order to be a person who thinks that God exists for you. It's just a narcissistic perspective that says, I'm here, center of the universe, and God better deliver. So, ask you some questions. Ask yourself, what prompts my conversations with God? When do I talk to God most often? I would dare say for some of us, we'd come to the realization that we talk to God when we need something. If you're a parent, you know, you might have a kid or two that you hear from them more often than not when something is needed. It's not just a, hey, how you doing? Something's needed, and that's when the communication happens. Is that the relationship with God? I only talk to him when I need something. What prompts my conversations with God? How about this one? How do you react when you get a yes? When a yes comes to a prayer, how do you react? What does that look like for you? Think of those lepers, the 10 lepers that were healed by Jesus. Nine of them never even came back and said, thank you. Only one came back and said, thank you, God. If there's no sense of gratitude at all, is it that I might just feel so deserving of course God came through. I deserve this. After all, I am the center of my universe. How do I react when I get a no? Do I blame God? What's wrong with you, God? 
I've been doing my best. I've been trying my hardest. I've been living right. I've been doing everything you say, and you're not coming through for me. What's up with that? How about this? In your prayer life, have I made the move beyond the list? Have I made the move beyond the list? Does prayer for you look like a list that you read to God and walk away? i, I got to say that in almost any human relationship, if my, if my relationship was based on a list, reading a list, and walk away, it would be hard to call that a relationship. You might kind of feel like that's what you have with your boss, right? Your boss reads you the list, this is what you're supposed to do today. You'd never refer to your boss as your friend, somebody that's with you, they just handed you the list. Do we just hand God the list? Or have we moved beyond the list to an actual conversation with God? Here's a tough one. Can I sit with God in silence? Can I just enjoy his presence? Been married 35 plus years, and it's great that we don't always have to talk. And yet we are very much with each other. Are you able to just be with God and not have to say, by the way, God, did you remember what I need today? What relationship in life is comparable to my relationship with God? When I think about how I relate to God, what relationship in life looks like that? I, I was thinking through different possibilities. One would be the relationship that I have with the guy who fixes my car. Do you know when I call him? When my car is broken. I've never just thought of calling up and saying, so how's the day, dude? <laughs> I don't think I even know his name. He just... He has greasy hands and he fixes my car. That's his job. Is that the way you view God? I, I, just, I just call him when something's broken. What relationship in life looks like the relationship that you have with God? God wants to be Emmanuel, the with us God. You know that word narcissism is based in Greek mythology on a character named Narcissus. Narcissus is this dude who is described as being uh, just incredibly beautiful. I mean, it was just, he was, he was the, the, the absolute image of a perfect man, and he knew it. He loved him. Uh, women would come and throw themselves at him, and he would, he would reject them because, he, because none of them were worthy of how wonderfully beautiful he was. And, and he finally rejects one woman, and, and it causes her to just wither away. And so there's this goddess. Now, this is Greek mythology, not true, not in the Bible. Get it straight, okay? There's this, there's this goddess, and, and, and she decides that, that she's, her, her name is Nemesis, I believe. Nemesis decides that Narcissus deserves some punishment, and so she allows him to see himself in a reflection in water. And he sees himself, and he is in love. He's never seen anything so beautiful. And the story ends in one of two ways. One is that, that he, he actually commits suicide because he finally realizes he can't have the person in the water. And the other, the other is that he simply just dies because he wanted love with that person so much and he could never have love with that person so much. You know what's sad? That in the process of staring at himself, he missed everything that was going on around him. And too often as we stare at ourselves, we miss the withness that God wants to share with us. He wants so much for you than to just be a dispenser. 
He wants so much for you than to just be the one who gives you what you want. He wants to be with you in the valley of the shadow of death. He wants to share his witness with you all the time. Father God in heaven, help us to move beyond believing that you are for us, that you exist as our resource to a God who is with us, who walks with us in the cool of the garden at the end of the day. A God with whom we can enjoy a beautiful, vibrant, and deep relationship. In Jesus' name. So as we move to communion, I want to give you a verse today, a verse that includes that concept of God's witness. Do not fear, for I am with you. One of the great reasons we have for not being fearful is God is with us always. You're never alone. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's God being for us. He is for us. He is for us. He is for us. The God who strengthens and helps upholds with his righteous hand. God wants to be with you. He wants you to move out of the state of banishment and into his glorious presence. You can think about that today as we walk to communion. Two tables at the front, two at the back, gluten-free on either side of the stage, as well as a, a table at the back that has gluten-free. Take some time as you listen to the music to think about where you are in your relationship with God. The measure of God's goodness is not in what he gives. The measure of God's Goodness is not in what he withholds. He is always consistently good. His goodness is known to us when the night is holding on to us. That God is still holding on. He's still holding on in the middle of the night. He cares about you. He loves you and he's with you. First song we sang had a question almost at the beginning. Have you come to the end of yourself? There it is right there. Do you realize that God is not your cosmic canning machine? God has something so much better for you. I used to love collecting candy as a kid. I really did. And I remember this transition that happened in me when instead of going out and collecting, I was the guy who would be at the door handing out the candy. And now I won't miss it. I love it. I love that opportunity to smile and give. There's a transition that needs to take place in our relationship with God where we stop seeing him as just a giver and we see him as truly good. He's truly good. He's with you always, even to the end of the age. We'll see you next week.